Welcome to episode four of the Resistics podcast. My name is Callie and I am a female engineer. I hope to change the workplace environment to be more supportive and inclusive of a diverse workforce. Today's episode is the third of a three-part series I'm calling the Startup Saga. The first episode focused on how I got an incredible yet ugly job at a startup company and what that first year was like. The second episode was about the bomb that broke me. And today's episode is going to focus on how I grew and changed from that bomb and where I am today. There were four main phases to growing from that retention bonus bomb. Phase one was anger mixed with depression. Some people will never understand why it hit me as hard as it did, but it hit me as hard as getting the wind knocked out of your chest when you fall off the monkey bars. And this phase was the lying on the ground, seeing if you're still alive. I cried pretty much every day. It was hard to go into work and face all of the people who were deemed more valuable than me. And although they were kind and they were blown away that I was not included in the retention plan, it never made me feel better. I did my work, but didn't talk much. I listened to a lot of music and read through a lot of job postings. I yelled while driving in my car. I definitely did not speak in meetings. I immediately put on pajamas as soon as I got home, and I really didn't want to hang out with friends. I lost a lot of my purpose and self-worth, and I pretty much just shut down. Thankfully, this phase lasted only about a month. Phase two was trying not to care. (laughs) This was the phase of, okay, I'm alive after falling off those monkey bars, but it sure is hard to breathe, and that I'm definitely never going back up on those monkey bars again. This was the phase of, fine, F this. I tried really hard not to care. I planned to just do the minimum amount of work and nothing more. I wasn't going to check emails at night. I wasn't going to make suggestions. I was going to come in late and leave early. I was going to let them see what it was like without me. The funny thing about this was that I couldn't do it. Being a hard worker is who I am, so I couldn't not care. And it isolated me even more. This phase only lasted uh, a few weeks when I realized I was more miserable trying to not care than care. Phase three was looking for validation. This was the phase of standing up, taking a deep breath, and walking away from those monkey bars as everyone stared, pretending to be totally fine. (laughs) I wanted so badly to be valuable. I wanted to feel necessary. So I dove in and did even better work. I brought data analysis into product development I released documents faster. I got things done before my boss even knew to ask. I was the person he relied on for most things. During this time, the big company was mapping out the integration process, and my boss was busier than busy could be, and I proved to him that he could trust me to do anything he needed. The weird part was, this still didn't fix how I felt. I was so micro-focused on that retention, and being even better at my job didn't fix that pain. So then I started applying for jobs and interviewing. I even got offered a couple of jobs and I didn't take them. And guess what? I still didn't feel better. (laughs) This lasted a couple of months. Phase four was actually taking the time to heal. This phase was the muscles healing, the chest relaxing after the fall, the building back up the confidence to go back on those monkey bars. It honestly took me at least a year to talk about the situation without crying. I sound super dramatic, 
but it just shows how hard it hit me. I spent a lot of time talking to my boss about how angry and sad I was. Thankfully, he listened, though he didn't really do much to take action. Um, honestly, I was looking for him to fix it, but there was no way to fix it. I remember him saying so many times that he couldn't wait for the day where that moment was just a blip in my life that empowered me to be stronger. But every time he said that, I'd roll my eyes and start to cry. Eventually, he figured out how to take the steps to get me paid more fairly, and he fought hard for me to get a promotion. I also joined a book club through the big company where we read a book about leadership and figured out our own leadership style and future goals. I joined SWE. I participated in outreach events. I took more control of my tasks and began to feel like I could define my purpose. Just like with hard personal life events, I just needed time. I'm happy to say now that I understand myself so much better because of this process, and I learned how important it is to me to create an equitable environment with clear expectations and consistent, authentic leadership. Hence the first line in every episode of my podcast. I also definitely know that if something like that were to happen again, I'd stand up for myself. I would lay out the reasons I'm necessary to the organization. In that book club I joined, we talked about crucibles as big events or failures that give you perspective and drive. The retention bonus was my first career crucible. I remember actually talking to the book club about how I thought I was going through one, and I didn't know how to know if it would ever end. I really wanted some sort of a finish line or conclusion, but again, I just needed time. The finish line wasn't defined by the people I worked for. Nothing they could or would do would be the fix or the end. The finish line was defined by me realizing that I have to know my own self-worth and not relying on a company to tell me what it is. But for someone who regularly feels out of place and struggles with confidence, that race to that finish line felt like I had one leg tied behind my back and I had to jump over hurdles with a blindfold on. I'd never done it before. There was no book I could study that would tell me how to get the right answers. So I took a lot of tricky falls on the course, but I'm happy to say I got there. Part of me feels hardened in a bad way, like I have to just expect the business world to be terrible and do my best to be strong and stand up for myself. But the other part of me is really happy that I understand myself and my purpose. And maybe the next time something like that happens, I'll at least have the blindfold taken off for the race. During this time of learning and healing, the actual acquisition of the company was happening, which was in its own right a career crucible, just a much less emotional one. If I could sum it up into one word, it would be uh, slow, disorganized, and disappointing. Okay, yeah, that was three words. Anyway, here's how the acquisition went. Slow is an understatement. When I left the job, it had been two years and five months since the deal closed, and the acquisition was still not complete. Keep in mind, we were a single product company with 20 people. It's not like they were merging two giants, which I would expect to take years. During the first three months, the acquisition was quiet. Just a refresher, we were bought late March of 2015. We were all told to continue with business as usual. We weren't going to become real big company employees until July 1st, which was about three months after they purchased us. Looking back, they were probably mapping out and planning the project, but in the moment, it felt like they kind of forgot about us. They paid our bills and kept their distance. 
except for a few new big company faces. One was the main leader of the acquisition. He flew in regularly and tried to start to get to know us. The other was a manufacturing guy who was supposed to start learning how we made our device. We really had no clue what they were planning, no clue if we were part of them, and no clue what would come in July. We spent a lot of time talking, a lot of time worrying, and a lot of time waiting. The next nine months were a flurry. During this time, a lot of things changed. They brought in a ton of people to help, and this is where it relates to that disappointing feeling I had. They came in with an attitude of superiority. They made us feel dumb and inadequate, and like they needed to fix everything we'd ever done. Now, obviously, as a small company, we might have cut a few corners, and we definitely weren't up to the standards of the big company. But we knew our product, and we had passed an FDA audit. So we spent most of our time explaining our stuff to all of the various people they brought in, rather than just doing the work. New product development went out the window, because the three engineers of the company were really the only technical people available to answer all of their questions and do the cleanup work. It was announced on that July 1 date that they would be shutting down our manufacturing and transferring production to a contract manufacturer. All of our manufacturing team members had that six-month retention, which by July 1st was already halfway over when they made that announcement. The big company guys quickly put a second retention plan in place for all of the manufacturing folks, extending to one year from the acquisition date. This would allow for time to transition the build to an outside vendor. So these nine months were focused on submitting a 510K for the product changes to the FDA, educating all of the contractors and big company employees on our product, and working with a large contract manufacturer to build the product. The office was always full. We actually had to buy extra cubes to fit all of the new people. In general, I would describe the vibe of the office at this time to be generally positive, full of action, guided by that big company leader with his shiny shoes and a deep voice, who instilled belief in our product. Now, there were obviously hard times with the unknowns and the frustrations of transferring and closing our production. I think the main frustrations ultimately happened because we were trying to fit a small company product into a big company portfolio, kind of like a square peg in a round hole. They came in with processes and rules that just didn't make sense for our product. But again, at least we had some goals and a mission. We had some leadership. We had people excited about our product and eager to learn. At the end of the nine months of flurry and a lot of work training and documenting and updating, they actually decided it did not make financial sense to contract the manufacturing to the vendor, and they were instead going to build the product internally at one of their other facilities. Yeah, that's a heavy sigh. <laughs> we were one year in, and we were almost back to square one. The manufacturing team got yet another retention plan for a minimum of six more months with the possibility of up to a year. Now, let's report on how sales were during that first year. We honestly thought that the only reason we were struggling to sell as a small company was because of that. We were small. We didn't have the presence or the reputation of a big company. We thought that with the big fancy company name, sales would take off. Well, they didn't. They remained flat, and honestly, they even got a little worse. Bummer. The big company guys always tried to spin it as a timing thing and that the next quarter would always be better. 
But at this point, we hadn't released a new product in a while, and the name of the big company wasn't enough. So it was decided that along with the manufacturing transfer to a different site, we would also release a product improvement. Thank goodness. Oh, and I should actually take a second to talk about what happened to our small company leadership team. Uh, after the buyout, the president was almost immediately gone. Although he was still paid a nice consulting fee, he was never around. The head of operations stayed six months, which almost killed him. He hated not being in charge and hated the big company rules. The CEO is actually still being paid a consulting fee. He comes in once every two months or so, talks a little R&D, and then flies back out. And then my boss, the head of R&D, well, he got fully enveloped. He's still with them, trying to complete the acquisition and trying to get that product to launch. Okay, back to the timeline. To recap, year one was a frenzy with little accomplishments. The second year of the acquisition was by far the most disorganized part. No one could make a decision about when or where or what. Things went forward and backward and around the loop 12 times before we could make any progress. Fewer and fewer people came to our site as most things were moving to where the product was going to be built. The office became quieter every month. It was no longer exciting and the office environment was really low. With the looming close of manufacturing, people started to bail when they found new opportunities. And by November of 2016, the manufacturing team was officially let go. They got very good retention bonuses and severance packages. I'll say that the big company did right. But once they were gone, the office was very gloomy. There were about five of us left on a good day. We each had our own office or two. It was honestly just bizarre. It might sound like a dream to essentially work in a quiet, empty office, but it got draining. It was just me and the engineering guys most of the time. Occasionally, the female accountant and marketing woman would be there, but most days were very isolating. And yes, obviously I talked to all of my engineering coworkers, and we all knew each other really well, but it's annoying to be the only girl, the only one under the age of 45. I got really tired of hearing about motorcycles and guns. I just wanted to be around anyone who looked like me. So this is about the time that I joined the SWE resource group. It's actually a super cool thing. They grouped up women engineers who are similar in years on the job, and we get together once a month to chat or go out to dinner or just discuss tips and tricks being the only girls. I definitely recommend this if you're feeling alone at work. It's been so nice to laugh about things that we all experience and get advice on how to proceed. Definitely a nice stress relief. Anyway, by the end of the second year of the acquisition, it felt like it was never going to end. We kept pushing back the release date of that product launch over and over and over again. New issues kept coming up with the manufacturing line. New people kept getting involved and redoing work that had already been done. It felt very stuck and was very frustrating. But finally, there was some good news. We were going to close our sad little office, and those of us left would sit at another local facility with other members of the big company. I was so excited to finally be able to be around people again, and maybe there would actually be other women there, and other young people. <laughs> I was thrilled. Now, this decision was like them all. It went up and back a million times with various locations and dates and who would be included in the move. But they did a financial analysis and determined that the end of the summer was it. 
Finally, something to look forward to again. Around the same time of the move decision came some other big changes, much less happy ones. There was a company layoff at the site that bought us, and we lost our only two marketing team members. And shortly after that, the head of the acquisition, the guy with the deep voice and shiny shoes, he left. He had the option of a severance or a demotion, and he took the severance. Now we really felt like a sore thumb. We were trying to launch a product with no marketing and no leader. So we did what we could, focused on the move and next generation product development, hoping that we wouldn't be in the next layoff. We sorted through years of junk, tossing, donating, recycling, and packing up every last piece. And then I did something really silly. I glanced at jobs in another state and found something really cool. I submitted my resume without telling anyone, not even my husband. And two days later, they called me and were very interested. So as we packed up our final boxes of that small company to move, I was mentally packing up my experiences and memories of the last three years and four months. We moved over to the new facility on a Friday, and on Monday, I flew out for an on-site interview at the out-of-state company. A few days later, I had an offer and a really tricky decision to make. Would things get better now that we were sitting with the other big company people? Maybe. Would the acquisition ever end? Eh, probably at some point. Was there much left for me to learn there? In certain ways, yes, certain ways, no. But my husband and I ultimately chose to move out of state and start a new chapter of our lives. So that's that. That's the three-part series of my first engineering job. All three years, four months, and one day of it. It's an experience that I am incredibly grateful for, both for good and bad reasons. Leaving that job gave me perspective, gave me closure, and allowed me to experience a new startup medical device company. I'm only about four months in, but it is almost the most opposite it possibly could be. I'll be sure to discuss it on future episodes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Resistics. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and please rate my podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, together, we can change this.